Welcome, Ryuji. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, really appreciate it. Of course. Um, yeah, um, there are like so many things I think we can talk about. Uh, but at first, we're at this effective altruism conference. Yeah. Um, and then you're giving a talk tomorrow. Sunday, in two days. In Yeah, it's always oh, only Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time, right? <laughs> oh, damn, yeah. Um, so I thought it would be really cool if we could like touch a little bit on about uh, what you're going to talk about sure as thing. well. But maybe like first, um, on the train ride here, actually, um, I watched the documentary you made about fish, mm-hmm. um, which again is something I want to touch about. But uh, how did like everything, like how did you en- end up in activism and so on? Sure. Uh, and, like why do you care about animals? Yeah. So I started caring about animals in 2016. And the two things that I discovered is I discovered one, how much they suffer uh, and two, that they are sentient. So on the suffering side, I discovered that animals like cows, pigs, chickens, fish, um, the ones that, you know, I ate my entire life and I ate the byproducts of like milk and eggs, uh, they suffer a lot more than I ever thought. Uh, You know, looking at marketing, looking at packages, looking at culture, I always thought that they had happy lives on nice farms and they were killed quickly and instantaneously and it was all wonderful. Uh, But I discovered that this is not the case, that, you know, we're a lot of people on the earth. And to meet this demand, we make the animals suffer. We confine them in small spaces. We mutilate them so they can't injure themselves in certain ways. We do all sorts of horrible things. In fact, the majority of the standard legal things that we do to them would be illegal if we did them to dogs and cats. So that's how bad it is. And then I also discovered that they're sentient, meaning that, you know, for the majority of my life, I never really thought about who a chicken was or who a cow was or who a pig was. But it turns out that they feel stuff, they think, and they suffer just like dogs and cats. And I discovered this through a book called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. So this is a history book, but there's a chapter in there all about the modern agricultural systems called Life on the Conveyor Belt. And it describes first, like I said, how much the animals suffer, but then it gives this analogy. You know, it talks about this story about this psychologist in the 1950s in the the US, did this experiment. So what he did is he took these baby monkeys and he Mm -hmm. separated them from their mothers and he put them in this cage. And in this cage, he had two fake monkey mothers. Mm -hmm. One was made out of metal wires. It was very scary, very cold, very harsh, very sharp. And the other one was made of wood and it was covered with cloth. The only thing was on the one that was made out of metal wires, they they put this, uh, this milk bottle for the for the baby monkeys to feed on and they wanted to see what would the baby monkey do and it turns out that they spent the majority of their time with the other one the one made out of wood with cloth it was much softer much more welcoming Mm -hmm. so if you see photos of this experiment you see these baby monkeys who are clinging on to this fake mother the one that looks soft and more cuddly and what they would do is they would go to the other one just to get the milk and then they would go right back to the one that was more welcoming or you can see some heartbreaking photos where they're actually holding on to the one uh, the one like the the wooden cloth one, and they're reaching over to the other one to drink the milk. Mm-hmm. And so what this experiment showed is that monkeys don't just need things like food and water in order to survive. They also have these emotional needs to yeah. bond with their mothers, that they take care of them. Oh. Uh, and this is not something that's exclusive to monkeys. This is the case for many other animals, like cows, for example. Cows are mammals, just like humans. And one key feature of mammals is that there's this strong bond between mothers and children. Uh, That's a a survival mechanism, right? It helps us survive. Uh, And so just like a human mother loves their human baby, mother cows also love their babies. Mm. But something like the dairy industry, for example, was revealed in this book that the dairy industry is based on breaking this bond. So when a mother 
when a, when a cow gives birth, but the reason they give birth is because cows produce milk, not because they're cows, but because they're mothers, mm. uh, just like any other mammal. Mm-hmm. When they give birth, the dairy industry is going to take that cow, the calf, away from the mother. Why? Because, well, if the calf drinks the milk, then where's the milk for us? We wouldn't have cheese and ice cream and all these other things. So we have to separate them. And what we don't think about is that this causes them suffering. The same kind of suffering that these psychologists in the 1950s caused to these monkeys or the same kind of suffering that a human would endure uh, if they were separated from their mother, both on the side of the mother and the child. Mm. Uh, and this is when I realized, wait a second, these animals that I always thought were just livestock, they're just these food animals, right? They're actually individuals who, just like you and me, have personalities. Mm. They have likes and dislikes. They feel and they think. Uh, And thinking about it like that, it became clear that animal agriculture was something horrible that I could no longer participate in. In fact, it went from this normal thing that we did in society to this injustice, if you look at it from the point of view of the animals. So when I discovered that, that's when I was like, I want to do something about it. It was just like this emotional thing. Uh, But for two and a half years, I didn't do anything. And the reason why was because... On one hand, I didn't think I could do anything. I had a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I was there was a lack of knowledge. I just didn't know what I could do. I was like, even if I wanted to tackle this problem, like where, where do I start? Like, who do I go to? What organizations mm-hmm. do I work with? Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, but then two years later, I started getting involved with different uh, volunteer organizations. So there were these nonprofits who would put on events and campaigns mm-hmm. and I would join them. And little by little, I got involved. I met more people. And uh, this is how I ended up uh, working now full-time in uh, animal rights and animal animal welfare animal stuff damn <laughs> wow you're a really good speaker thank you so well. much yeah wow uh and so now you work full-time right yes and like wow uh, can you like describe like uh, how that is for you sure thing so yeah. i just transitioned so i'm doing a new project now so this is yeah. the first time i'm talking about it publicly cool. i guess so i don't know when this will go out but um yeah. You know, for since 2018, mm-hmm. I've been working with various nonprofits. So at first I worked mm-hmm. with a sanctuary. I did their social media content. Oh, nice. Then I worked with a UK-based organization called Surge. And I did mm-hmm. their videos for about two years. Uh, on the side, I volunteered with other organizations as well. So I worked with organizations like Sentient Media, Faunalytics, uh, We Animals. I mean, these are, if you don't know, like these mean nothing to you, but they're different organizations in the yeah. animal rights space. Uh, and next year, or this year, I suppose, I started working on a new project Uh, which is creating educational content because that's pretty much the bulk of what I do is Mm. educational initiatives, particularly Mm. through video because I've been making videos for about 15 years and I love education. I like explaining things. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) thank you so much. Um, And this year I'm working on a project where I'm doing that, but Mm. in Japanese for a Japanese audience. Wow. Um, Since I am part Japanese, I speak Japanese and my mom is Japanese. Um, And so I'm very excited to work on that and, and hopefully that will help in some way. Wow. Yeah. I'm also, I'm half Asian, so I'm like Thai and Yeah, Chinese. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, actually, like one of the things that I have been considering as well, uh, so now we're like kind of almost asking for advice and so on, yeah, yeah. is that I, um, I'm also like considering going into like documentary making and so on. Yeah. Um, but I'm not really like sure, or like I have like so many ideas, like, uh, uh, for example, one is like to make a documentary about like uh, lobsters in Norway. Yeah. <laughs> really specific. But yeah. um, it's because like in the 90s, uh, or like since the 90s, they have uh, like the lobster population in Norway has decreased by like 90% and yeah. so on. And and like no- Norwegians, like where I live now in Norway, uh, they really love lobsters and so on. And I don't think like a lot of people know about this. And I think that could be like a maybe a good start. I'm not sure. Uh, or like about fish farming and so on. 
Um, but so when I did my research there, yeah, that, that's also where your name popped up, by the way, <laughs> because okay. then I was like, oh, like who has made documentaries about fish? And then I saw, um, or like I, I got yours. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering, um, like, do you maybe have some tips like regarding documentary making? Just like, uh, yeah, I guess it depends like where you're at. Like, have you made yeah. documentaries before? Like what's your experience like? Um, I've only made or like I, I made like ski videos since I was 15 and then I okay. made like some YouTube videos yeah, and yeah, so yeah, on yeah, yeah. and then with the one of the organizations um that I'm in I made like the campaign video of like deep seabed mining okay so like um like took these cameras these exact for the same as the yeah. podcast and then sat down interviews with the WWF and like people and uh like that and we we also have one like full-time editor mm-hmm. uh, in-house um which like editing everything um yeah yeah. That's a little bit of the background. I see, I see. Yeah. Well, just to make this applicable to, to more people, I think that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people want to start things like that, you know, like yeah, I get questions about sure. that. Like I want to make content. I want to make a documentary. I want to make, I want to make a film. I think that if you have very little, very little to no experience, mm. then you should focus on getting experience. So just make mm. stuff, no matter what it is. Yeah. Uh, because your first video, your first documentary is not going to be good. Yeah. The, the first time you do anything yeah. is not going to be good, right? It's like yeah, riding yeah. a bicycle. The first time you get on, you're going to fall. Yeah. That's just how life is. So you can't expect to do something well the first time. What you need is experience. You need to learn the actual skills required to make a documentary. So that's if you're just starting out, just make one thing, then make another. And every time, just try to make it a little bit better. You know, yeah. the first time you make a video, the second time you're like, what can I improve? Mm. I can improve maybe the lighting. I can improve the storytelling. Maybe I can write this a little dif- a bit differently. If you're explaining something on camera Mm. maybe i can be a little bit more engaging whatever it is just improve little by little Um, if you have a little bit more experience i think it helps to maybe think a little bit more about uh, what you're doing ask yourself questions like you know if i make like why am i making this Mm. um is this a topic that's worthwhile so in the case of making something for impact you know because you can make things for different reasons some people make things for entertainment education we want to make impact presumably yeah uh is this an issue that is worth talking about well, could, does this have the potential to actually make a difference is a good question to ask yourself. Mm. Uh, another question to ask yourself is, is this something that people are going to find interesting? So what you said earlier about, you know, many Norwegian people like lobsters, like love lobsters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can uh, capitalize on that. Then that might be a good route to go. Mm. But you want to start asking yourself these more strategic questions. Like, is this a good topic to tackle? Mm. Uh, if you're going to tackle the topic, is it an interesting topic? If it is an interesting topic, how do you frame it so that people will find it interesting? Um, that's actually one of the things that I think I failed with on my documentary about fish mm. is that I think the documentary itself, people who have watched it find a lot of value in it. However, I've had trouble getting people to watch it in the first place because I think that mm. the title of it and the the poster, like the thumbnail on YouTube mm. uh, is just not that not that great. I, I tried a couple of different ones, mm. um, but it's just, you see like they call it the click through rate on YouTube, right? It's like a hundred people see it. How many people click on it? Uh, it's just not that good on that video. Um, and so that's the kind of thing I would ask myself more seriously in the future is like, you want to be able to, if you're going to spend a lot of time making something, then you want to think very deeply about, okay, how am I going to frame this story so that it becomes interesting to people, which interesting means relevant to their lives, right? It means like, uh, it has to solve a problem that they have in their lives. So either it helps them, maybe your target audience is people who like to understand the world better. And so you ask a very interesting question about the world that they would like to know this. Or maybe it's, it's a thing that sounds interesting in the sense that if you learn about this, you'll have something interesting to talk about at your next dinner party. It could be any number of things, but you have to ask yourself, why would people watch this? Uh, you know, and that's the kind of thing I would think about more deeply if you have more experience. Exactly. Damn. Um, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're also... 
like in the advisory board yes of vegan hacktivists exactly yes can you explain a little bit about that as well sure so vegan hacktivists is an organization that's we do tech stuff yeah. So we offer capacity building services to other nonprofits in the animal rights space. Mm. We help them with all sorts of, you know, anything that's related like tech creativity, we can probably help. So things like web development, things like any tech issues, security, um, mm. graphic design, social posts, social media, like stuff like that. Uh, these are things that we try to help uh, different organizations with. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's basically what we do. Yeah, cool. Okay. And then you're giving advice to the organization? Like yeah, so strategic advice. So like every month, the different team leads come up with questions for a group of us. Yeah. Uh, and every month it's like different questions. You know, sometimes it's questions about certain projects. Mm. Sometimes it's about how to run the organization and I provide value how I can. So sometimes exactly. there are questions yeah. that uh, I have expertise in. Like if they ask about marketing or content or something like that, I can mm. give good good advice. Sometimes it's about yeah. stuff that I don't know that much about, like yeah. how to run an organization, in which case uh, I, I don't answer that particular question. But yeah, yeah. yeah so it's on a month-to-month -month basis and mm. uh, it's always different different questions. Damn. And yet, uh, do you have a team or like how how do you work like that? In the, in the organization? Uh, yeah, so we... Uh, we no, or like... Um, oh, personally. In life. In life, basically. in life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in life, yeah. my personal work is... Uh, I, I work a lot alone. So like, yeah. uh, not because like, I don't think I could have a team. It's just because I can't really... I can't really... I've, I've never been really able to afford a team. That being said, on a lot of projects, my best projects, I've always worked with other people. So okay. for example, yeah. the fish documentary that yeah. we talked about earlier, mm. uh, that one, I did almost all the research and writing on my own. I, I did almost wow. everything on my own, yeah. but for example, I, I had two illustrators come in and do the illustrations yeah. because I can't draw to save my life. Mm. Uh, I had someone who's in that space actually fact check it after the fact. Nice. Uh, the, the, yeah. If there are errors, they're still, they're still mine to be clear, but mm. I had someone watch it before like I published it. I was like, hey, uh, you know, can you watch this and mm. see if like I didn't make any like glaring big mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I try to work with people like as much as I can, especially yeah. to cover my weaknesses and stuff because you know that's how you make the best stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you're like a freelancer, kind of. Kind yeah. Of, or, so I mean, are, like, are yeah, I'm yeah. a I'm a freelancer in the sense that like that's how I work structurally with different organizations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. Okay, damn, yeah. Um, and okay, so let's go back to the fish, sure. maybe. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, um, as mentioned earlier, like I, I feel it's not many people who like uh, care about fish yeah. and so on. Uh, could you may maybe go through like some of the um, uh, like main topics to focus on when it comes to fish for people to understand more, like why we should care about fish? I sure. Think? Yeah. So first, there's the question of why should we care about the issue of fish in the first place? Yeah. And the reason why, or one reason that's compelling, I find, is that if you look at fish compared to all the other animals that we use for food, mm. we kill a much larger number of them than any other animal. So you take chickens, for example. They're the land animals. So land animals include cows, pigs, chickens, other birds. Mm. Um, they're the land animals that we kill in the largest number out of all of them by pretty far. So chickens, the number we kill is about 10 times the current human global population. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the number of fish we kill, even a conservative estimate of how many fish we kill is about 25 times that number, which is about 17 times the number of humans who have ever lived mm. in the history of the world. So the number is just completely unimaginable. And mm. at the same time, fish are the animals that both from a cultural and legal perspective, we care about the least. Mm. So culturally, 
there's this activity called fishing, which is you go to the park, you take these fish, you hook them in the mouth, you bring them out of their habitat where they're suffocating, you take a photo of them for your Tinder profile or whatever, and it's a completely normal thing. However, if I did that with a squirrel, go to the park, capture a squirrel, dunk their head in the water, even if I let them go afterwards, that would be outrageous. Hmm. You know, I'd get canceled and arrested probably, which would be a good thing. Yeah. Um, and on the legal fronts, while for other animals, like dogs in particular, for example, there are lots of laws that protect them. For other animals, like cows and pigs, there are some laws, a lot less, and it's unclear how much they're enforced. And, uh, you know, they still suffer way more than they should. Um, so horrible what we do to them. But at least there's some semblance of, you know, yeah, we make it look like we care. Mm. For fish, there's barely none. So all mm. the laws that apply to food animals like cows and pigs and chickens oftentimes exclude fish explicitly. Uh, and in practice, what this means is that a lot of what we do to them in many parts of the world is a free-for-all. We can do almost anything to them. And not only, like I said, we don't care about them legally, but culturally, like, no one cares, mm. right? Mm. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to think about who fish are. Um, because if we are doing something to this many animals, then it would serve us to know things like, do they suffer? Because many people think or have thought in the past that fish don't suffer. So what does it matter if we kill like a trillion of them, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Um, but if they do suffer, this is a tragedy. This is uh, this is a moral emergency of, of an unprecedented scale, right? Mm. So we have to ask ourselves these questions very seriously. So in the documentary, that's basically what I try to do is I try to ask the question, who is a fish? Like, what, like, what are they like? Yeah. You know, because there's this stereotype that there are stupid animals who are barely conscious, don't feel pain. And I'm like, does that hold up with the latest research? And so what I do is I explore the research that's, uh, that, that tries to ask the question, is a fish conscious? How intelligent are they? Like, what, what, what are their inner lives like? And do they suffer? And as it turns out, there's a mountain of, of research uh, that shows that indeed fish do, they feel, they think, and they suffer a lot like dogs, cats, and other animals. Um, so I can give a couple examples of that that are quite yeah. interesting. Um, one, like, one interesting question to ask ourselves about, well, any animals, but fish in particular, is the question of intelligence. Intelligence is an interesting thing because if you ask yourself, what is intelligence? The way that humans define it mm -hmm. is we basically define it as the ability to solve problems. However, in the context that we use it most often, we mean the ability to solve problems that are interesting to humans specifically. Mm -hmm. For example, one researcher did this research where she took these koi fish and she asked the question, can koi fish tell the difference between different genres of music? So, you know, you hear classical music. You might not know it's Mozart or Beethoven, but you're like, this is classical music. Mm -hmm. If you hear a jazz piece, you're like, you don't know if it's Bill Evans or Charlie Parker, but you're like, this is jazz. Yeah. yeah. So she was like, can koi fish make this <laughs> distinction? So interesting. So she put the speaker in a yeah. tank and she would play them this classical piece and then this blues piece. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, after a while, the koi fish were able to tell between these two specific songs. But then, instead of just using two specific songs, she went on to use other songs. So if the first one was just Vivaldi, uh, she also played Mozart and Beethoven and Bach and whoever else. And then instead of this one blues artist, John Lee Hooker, uh, I forgot, I think it was John Lee Hooker, she would also play Coco Taylor and Muddy Water and whoever else, right? Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, they were still able to make the distinction. <sighs> it seems like they were able to tell that, oh, we don't know what it is, but these two things are different. They're different genres, <laughs> right? Another piece of interesting research was on these fish called archerfish. So archerfish are these fish who hunt by spitting water at their prey from under the water. Hmm. 
And these fish are rumored to be some of the most intelligent fish on the planet. And so these researchers asked the question, can they tell the difference between different humans? So they would show these pictures of human faces and they would try to get them to pick this one and distinguish it from 44 other faces. And as it turns out, they had very little trouble doing this and they were able to tell different humans apart. Now, as humans, we look at these two pieces of research and then we conclude that, oh, fish are really intelligent. Why? Because they solve problems that are very interesting and important to us. We find it interesting to tell between different genres of music. And we find it interesting to tell between like different humans, to distinguish different humans, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, this is not really a good way to appreciate the cognitive abilities of animals. Why should it matter that a fish can distinguish between different genres of music? It's not a problem that they encounter in their day-to-day lives out in the wild. So if they're able to solve this problem of distinguishing genres of music, that's interesting, but it's not a good reflection of their cognitive abilities. We're judging them based on how good they are at being human. Hmm. And this is why we have this impression that other animals are stupid, because of course they would be. If we judge their ability to be intelligent by how good they are at being human, then of course they're not gonna do very well. However, on the flip side, if we undo this way of thinking and we try to ask ourselves, what are problems that they encounter and how do they solve those? we can get a much deeper and meaningful, in my opinion, appreciation of the cognitive abilities of animals. So for example, a piece of research that perfectly illustrates this is one that these researchers did with salmon and their ability to smell. So what they did is they took these salmon and they took this otter. Mm -hmm. And then for two separate weeks, they fed this otter different food. So one week they fed this otter, I think it was rabbit and chicken, but it doesn't matter, something that was not salmon. Mm -hmm. And then the second week, they fed the the otter uh, salmon. And what they did is they would collect the otter's poop every single day. And they had these poop samples. So one poop sample was like rabbit and chicken and the other one was fish. Mm -hmm. And then what they did is they would put these salmon in these tanks and drop these poop samples. It was a little more complicated than that, but like conceptually, right? Mm -hmm. And what they found is that when they dropped the samples from the otter who had eaten chicken and rabbit, they didn't react. They were like, no problem. We're fine. Mm -hmm. But when they dropped the samples from the from the otter who had eaten salmon, they would start freaking out. Their heart rate would go mm -hmm. up. They would start, they would hide. They would exhibit these behaviors that show that they're aware that someone around here has eaten salmon. Therefore, I'm in danger. Mm -hmm. That was the conclusion that the researchers came to. Mm -hmm. Now this, in contrast to the research about uh, music and the research about human faces, I think is much more interesting and much more relevant to understanding the cognitive abilities of fish because this is a problem that they can actually solve, that they actually have to solve in mm. the real world. And this reveals too that, you know, this is something that they're much better at doing than us. You know, I went to the bathroom earlier mm. and I have no idea if the guy in the next stall had eaten like some handsome Asian <laughs> man for lunch, right? I just have no idea, I can't tell. Yeah. Um, but a salmon would be able to tell that straight away. So yeah. in that sense, they're in the same way that, you know, as humans, we're way better at doing certain things than other animals. Huh. Other animals, they also have these abilities that they're much better at doing than us. And salmon is actually a really, really interesting case of this. Um, and this, by the way, this is a thing that I wanted to include in the documentary, but I, I cut it out. Yeah. Uh, but okay. it was it was yeah. so interesting because salmon were, to me, the animals that I ate maybe the most, or at least the fish that I ate the most. Yeah. I loved eating salmon so, 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 so much. But it turns out that they're much more interesting animals than I ever imagined. And they have much more going on inside their minds than I previously thought. So salmons are born in these freshwater streams. 
And around the time they reach their version of adolescence, they go downstream and they go towards the ocean. And when they go towards the ocean, they undergo this process called smultification, where their body changes to adapt to the salt water. They're basically evolving like a real life Pokemon. It's kind, of, mm. it's kind of wild. And then they go to the ocean and they spend a few years there, depending on the species. Mm. You know, and they move up the food chain. They have a really, really tough life out in the ocean. And then one day, it's time to reproduce. And what they do is they go from this random point in the ocean all the way back to where they're from. Not just to the general area, the neighborhood where they're from, but oftentimes they show up in the literal stream they were born in. So for perspective, that's as if, you know, I was born in a hospital outside of Paris. You drop me in the middle of Poland and you tell me, hey, Ryuji, walk back to the doorstep of the hospital that you were born in. And there's no street signs, there's no roads, there's no smartphone, mm. it's just a wide open ocean. Wow. So the question is, how do they do this? Yeah. And as it turns out, salmon have these specialized cells in their bodies that sense the Earth's magnetic field, and that's how they get back to the general area. And from there, they use th their incredible sense of smell that we just talked about to figure out where they're from. They remember these subtle chemical cues from the stream they were in, and they were like, oh, it's this way, it's that way. And on the way, they have to encounter all these obstacles like bears and waterfalls. And when they encounter waterfalls, and first of all, you have to think they're swimming upstream. So this is a really incredible mental feat in a way because they navigate it all the way back. But this is also an incredible physical feat. Uh, they're swimming upstream. And when they encounter these waterfalls, they jump up the waterfalls and they'll try again and again and again until they get it. And I looked this up. This is just uh, an interesting aside. I was, I was wondering how high can a salmon jump? And it turns out that the highest jumps of salmon rival the highest jumps of dolphins, kangaroos, and is higher than the human high jump world record. Wow. And this is upstream up a waterfall. Cool. So it's pretty incredible what they're able to do. But in any case, the point is that, you know, as a kid, I didn't really think about this, but if I were to think about it, I'd be like, yeah, salmon, whatever. There's a stupid animal, you know, who cares? But there's so much going on in their heads, much like you, me, dogs or cats, they have the subjective experience of life. It might not feel like what it feels like to be a human, to be a salmon, but the important thing is it feels like something. And that's something that I think we often fail to appreciate. Amazing. I'm curious to know like, uh, what's most important for you these days? That's a really good question. I didn't expect that. <laughs> like you hit me there, like, you know, it's the most important thing. I guess the most important thing for me for a long time has been to make the world a better place. And what that means specifically is reducing as much suffering as possible. Yeah. That's really how I think about it. I'm not so attached to how that happens, uh, but I'm just attached to that. I think that for the majority of my life, I failed to appreciate what it means for someone to suffer. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate that, you know, like my, my life is honestly like pretty good. Of course I have my ups and downs, but overall like mm. it's, it's really good. Um, and I think that being in this place of privilege, I've often neglected to think about what it's like to be someone else. And through my life, one thing that I've been fortunate to stumble upon is the world of personal development. So when I was a kid, I was fairly uh, miserable in a way when I was in high school. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in a really good place mentally, at least. Uh, and so I was very fortunate to find people who, tell, who told me, uh, you know, you can actually work on things like happiness and fulfillment. Mm -hmm and making friends and you know creating the life that you want. And that was a really empowering message for me. And for a long time, what that led me to do is to ask myself the question, how do I get what I want? 
How do I get the friends that I want? How do I feel how I want to feel? How do I become the best version of myself? But it was all about me. And then one day I realized that becoming the best version of myself is not just about getting what I want, but it's also about making sure that the way that I impact the rest of the world is positive. That's, you know, it's not just about me. It's about all of us. Hmm. And that's the first time that I started thinking about what is it like to be someone else? I think one of the most valuable questions that we can ask ourselves as humans is the question, what if it was me? I think that's one of the reasons that we don't care about animals is because we think about what we're doing to animals and we ask ourselves, what do I think about killing animals for food from my perspective? And then you think about things like, well, I like burgers. Can't be that bad. I mean, whatever. It's just a cow, right? Mm. Because that's what I think. It's from my perspective. But if we asked ourselves, what if it was me? What if I was the one Mm. who was born and the day that I was going to be killed was predetermined before I was even born? In fact, I was bred into the world for the sole purpose of being fattened up and killed. What if that was me? How would I feel? What would I think about this? Of course, there are limitations to actually thinking about this because it's not like other animals are necessarily thinking about it in these terms, but we can look at the conditions they're in. We can look at the lives that that they lead. We can look at how they're confined their entire lives essentially to become a product and be like, is that reasonably something that I I would swap places with? Would I accept it if I was in that position? A good thought experiment to, to think about this is, you know, we justify often what we do to animals by saying, well, we're the superior species. We're so much more intelligent. And true, in a practical sense, animals like cows, pigs, and chigs, did I say pickings and chi- I don't know what it is. <laughs> animals yeah. like cows, pigs, and chickens, mm-hmm. they can't fight back. They just physically cannot fight back. Mm-hmm. But it's feasible that say some alien species from outer space comes and the difference in intelligence between us and them is similar to the difference in intelligence between us and other animals. To them, We would look like chickens and we'd be so stupid to them that they could easily control us. And then they'll just start farming us and and breeding us so that they can eat a sandwich or have a pizza topping, right? If we are doing to animals and we're saying, this doesn't matter, you know, this is totally fine, then we would have to accept that if some aliens came down and did this to us, we would have no right to complain. But on the flip side, if we would not accept this to happen to us, because hey, sure, We might not be as intelligent as them. We might not be able to physically fight back, but we would still never want to be in this position. Mm -hmm. And if it's the case that we would never want to be in this position, then how in the world do we justify doing this to other animals? So anyways, to answer your question about what I care about most, um, you know, really, I think it comes down to, and like, I don't know why too, like, but I just, you know, making the world a better place means a lot to me. And it's really about reducing suffering as much as I as, as I think is possible. And what helps with that is looking at the world from the perspective of those who are suffering and asking, what if it was me? Wow. Yeah. Um, when I first got involved in like the altruistic game and so on, uh, like I grew up like, or like I didn't grow up in Thailand, but I, um, uh, every second year we lived like entire Thailand for like a month. Uh, and then I remember having, like seeing our family growing up there versus me growing up in Norway and like seeing that like totally different way of living and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and then I learned more about the world issues of like, um, like the global South and so on and, uh, where there are like more world issues and so on. And I remember that thought was one of the first things that got me involved was like, but what if that was me? And yeah. like, then I got into like human rights and so on, Yeah, which in the end, like got into animal rights in the yeah. end and so on. 
But um, yeah, I, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a really, really good one. Yeah. Um, and then for two, <laughs> not tomorrow, <laughs> but Sunday. It's basically the same yeah. thing. I mean, you know, just, uh, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, like tomorrow the day after, like. Yeah, it's midnight. So it's, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> but um, could you like give a little bit of some of the main, uh, like, points you will say there sure like so none, my talks none of they will hear it before you talk so no no sure so <laughs> my talk is going to be about effective communication from the point of view of animal advocacy so yeah. you know this is something i've been doing for the past five or so years now mm. and so i've had the opportunity to learn kind of like what works in terms of communication mm. now the problem with communicating our thing is that or there are multiple problems one it's controversial People don't like hearing about it. People often feel like we're telling them that you're a horrible person, you're wrong. All things that are not easy to, to communicate. And so the question I try to answer is, how do I talk about this issue that I think is really important in a way that's actually going to be engaging? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the main points, maybe the most important point that I'm going to make is that you know, as, as advocates or anyone who wants to make the world a better place, uh, I think we often want to talk about what is important to us. So mm. I might think as an animal advocate, I want to talk about what happens to chickens because it's important. And I think to myself, people should listen to this because it's important. Mm-hmm. The problem is that most people don't listen to things. They don't read articles or don't they don't watch videos because something is important. They do so because in the case of something educational, they do so because it's interesting. And so I think it's crucial for advocates like us to start asking ourselves, if we're going to talk about this, of course, we're going to talk about important topics. We can't just stop there and be like, this is important. So people have to learn about it. We have to ask, how do we make this interesting to people? Why would this be interesting? Mm -hmm. And if you change your mindset to that, I think that as an educator, you'll be much more successful. Mm -hmm. This is what all of education rides on or Mm -hmm. effective education, at least. Mm -hmm. If you think about the most influential and successful public educators, they talk about things that people find interesting and that's what they lead with. And that's why people listen to them. That's why people enjoy learning from them so much is because you listen to them. You're like, this is really interesting. They might talk about really important stuff, but first and foremost, it's interesting. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it's just because this is so important. Mm -hmm. And this is the number one question I ask myself when I, when I make anything, Mm -hmm. or even when I talk about something, Mm -hmm. I try to ask myself, is this interesting? Like, how do I make this interesting for people? And interesting, uh, I think the best way to understand it for our purposes is to understand it as relevant. I think we already touched on that earlier. Mm. Um, but as you know, you want to make what you're talking about relevant to other people. You want to be like, why does this make sense for me to listen to this right now? Like, what value is it going to bring me? Mm. Uh, and that, I think, is a very important framework uh, to be an effective communicator and educator. Hmm. Amazing. Um, and then I wonder for people like, uh, like how can we help you? Um, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> um, you know, take your whole bank account and then just wire the entire thing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's um, go. <laughs> yeah. Like no, I mean, honestly, term, like, I think that's, uh, for, I wouldn't really ask you to help me. I would say that, you know, what I provide is I provide educational resources primarily mm-hmm. about animal rights and animal ethics. If that's something that you're interested in. Uh, then you can watch the videos, um, but only do so if you think this is something you generally find interesting. Mm. Um, you know, it comes down to to what I said, right? Exactly. Um, but instead of helping me, I think a better thing that I would like you to do 
is ask yourself how you can help make the world a better place. You know, that's what I care about. Like, I don't really yeah. need much for myself. Like, I just want the world to get better. Uh, so rather than supporting me, uh, you know, I would really tell everyone that, you know, because I used to think that I couldn't make a difference. But uh, if we all think deeply about what are we passionate about? What are our skills? Uh, what, what skills do we have? What are we good at? What do we like doing? You can find a way to take that and use it to make the world a better place. And if that's something that you want to do, then I would really encourage everyone to to really give that a serious shot. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much really for having me. This was great. It. Yeah. Oh, awesome.